Welcome to Inside the OC, a podcast about the world's largest participatory sporting event, the United States Bowling Congress Open Championships. Join Matt Canizero and Daniel Farish as they talk to some of the greatest names in the history of the tournament. The Eagles are ready. Let's take flight. Welcome back to Inside the OC. My name is Matt Canizaro, joined here by my sidekick on side at the Open Championships, Daniel Farish. Daniel, how are you doing today? Doing well. What's up, everybody? All right. Well, we're here for our third installment of this brand new podcast dedicated solely to the USBC Open Championships. We're joined today by three-time Eagle winner, Adam Barda, coming from Girard, Ohio, Daniel, Kentucky. I'm here in Texas, just down the street from USBC headquarters in Arlington. Adam, welcome. How are you? I'm well. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We're, uh, we're looking forward to, to hearing some stories from your days at the Open Championships. Uh, some great ones, some great accomplishments, some close calls, uh, all that good stuff. But uh, before we dive into the OC, let's talk about what you're up to now. And of course, everybody knows uh, from our time at the Open Championships that uh, you've been collecting eagles as well as children. But uh, your real job for many, many years, uh, you actually do work in collections. So this is a pretty important time for you. I know the, the world's a little crazy, uh, but uh, you've actually gotten some extra work and, and you're deemed essential. So you're out there every day in the workforce uh, away from your family for that. Uh, so just walk us through what it's been like these last couple of weeks and going to work every day, coming home and uh, and then we'll get into some of the upsides of what's happening right now, too. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, definitely a different change of pace, for sure. Um, you know, I don't get to when, when bowling season's here pretty much the whole year. Um, you know, with, between leagues and bowling tournaments, I'm not home nearly as often. Um, so this quarantine has been, you know, great from the standpoint of being able to see my kids more and, um, you know, enjoy them and, you know, Marcy and everybody else. But, um yeah, as, as far as work, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I've been um, at the same company now for, oh, geez, 22, 23 years. I work as a collections manager, so I deal a lot with um, mortgages, vehicles, uh, unsecured loans, but what I deal a lot with, um, foreclosures, repossessions, garnishments, bankruptcies, things like that, so... Um, yeah, we are considered essential because we do, our business models changed over the last, I don't know, eight to 10 years where we buy a lot of mortgage loans now. So um, we're more into anything that has to deal with mortgages, which is foreclosures, modifications, re, um, you know, things like that. But uh, yeah, definitely considered essential. Um, you know, a lot of people have a misconception about what collections do and who we are and what we, you know, anybody, anyone, anytime someone hears collection, they're like, Oh my God, you know, this is horrible. And, you know, just, you're just bad guy and things like that. But it's actually, for me, it's the complete opposite because um, for me, it's very uh, gratifying and rewarding, rewarding when you can actually help somebody and help somebody out of a jam, um, you know, kind of navigate through what they're able to do and what they're not able to do and kind of work around that. Um, you know, for the biggest, uh, thing is communication. Um, a lot of people are afraid to pick up the phone and call your, your lender and call your bank, call your creditor and, and make that phone 
call to say, listen, I'm in a jam. I need help. I don't know what to do. Um, you know, how can you help? It, it's not an easy call, but I can tell you from doing this for a very long time that the assumption is if you don't call that you're not going to want to work anything out or just nobody really knows what's going on. But if you do make that call and you do ask questions and you do ask for help, just know that the worst anybody can tell you is no. And that's anything in life. You know, I asked Marcy to marry me and I said, the worst she can tell me is no. <laughs> Apparently she said, yeah. So no, but I, I've learned that. I mean, I've, I've, my dad taught me that as a kid that, you know, never be afraid to ask for, you know, for anything that's you know, reasonable. Um, and just know that the worst anybody can tell you is no. And, and it's, it's the, the approach and um, how you present it, how you present yourself. But no, um, definitely considered essential. Um, I've been a team leader now for 16 years and it's kind of tough on me because I've got several people that work under me and I've got their workload to do because we've gone to half staff. So uh, it's stressful, but it's again, very rewarding. So, you know, I, I love what I do and, um, you know, I'm, I'm working more hours, but I know that normally when I come home from leagues, it's nine thirty, ten 10 o'clock at night. And normally now it's like seven thirty, eight o'clock. So I'm still getting a few hours with the kids. So it's been working okay. out. It's That's a just scary world out there. And, uh, you, you know, you really never know what's, uh, what's happening and, and you're coming home every night. Uh, so the upside is, as you said, you get to spend time with Marcy and uh, let me see if I got the list right. It's uh, it's Logan, Blake, Brooks, and Lofton. You got it. There you go. There, there's everybody. Um, so just talk about you know going out into the world and and coming home and and again, uh, scary things happening. But uh, how do you feel coming in the door and um, what's a typical night like now at the Barter household with uh, this new schedule? Well, <laughs> rule number one per Marcy, and and I completely am on board with it. Um, you know, our office, we're really spread out, but, you know, during the day, you just never know what you're going to pick up. So, um, you know, it's immediately, you know, get your shoes in the garage, take your clothes off. Yeah. Um, see? <laughs> so, yeah. But, uh, you know, go off and shower and, um, you know, just don't take any chances. But then, you know, come down and, um, you know, the great part is I think every night that I've been home, we've had a dinner as a family at the table, which is what um, – you know, I'm sure a lot of families are doing now and, and you know, before with, with the schedule, it wasn't like that. So, we, you know, we definitely get to enjoy ourselves more and, um, you know, spend quality time together and have a lot of fires and, you know, things like that outside. But, um, yeah, and Blake had a class the other day on a Zoom class and he had said, um, and yeah, today too. Blake, come here real quick. Hurry up. Hurry up. Come here. All right. I want you to tell everybody out there, this is Blake Weston here, he's my seven-year-old. So when you had your Zoom class, not today, but the other day, and you and they asked you, well, what is the favorite thing or what's the greatest thing that, that you have going on about this quarantine right now or everybody has to stay at home? Tell everybody out there what you said. That my dad is home every night now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You like that? Yeah. How much, how much does that cost you, Adam? I know. <laughs> Blake, that was scripted perfectly. Thank you. You don't have to You're not grounded. <laughs> that's, that, that's called earning brownie points right there. <laughs> if there were any brownies around here, they're gone. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, Adam, that's a that's actually a perfect segue uh, because you are definitely a, a family guy, and uh, we appreciate Marcy, of course, for holding it together. And uh, any opportunity we get to see her at the Open Championships certainly is great as well. Um, you know, tossed in your brothers as well, uh, Pete and Dave, right? Um, and uh, really, we uh, such a supportive group, and and the future Eagle winners there uh, in the background. Uh, but your team is kind of like a, a little bit of a family as well. And one that we've really got to see come together and develop over the last seven or eight years now. It's 2013 was when Team NABR uh, really became a thing. Um, and for us, um, the first time you and I met was uh, was a little bit uh, a little bit strained. Maybe I was I was pretty scared of you guys to be honest, um, because I already knew Mike Rose pretty well, uh, but I knew you guys were a little bit mad at me. Uh, just based on the the live stream schedule and and as talented oh, as you were and 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 um, you know we had an opportunity to have a have a chat that year and uh, I that was the first time I met you of course and Mike introduced us and um, we sat down the the National Bowling Stadium was closing down for the night uh, there was no late squad I believe so we had some time just to to kick back and relax and uh, gave me a chance to get some insight and see just really how talented and passionate and uh, how much bowling and everything and the family and the team all means to you. Uh, and then we were fortunate to get you on the live stream schedule uh, that year. And uh, you guys put on a show, and you've been doing so ever since. Um, but just talk about that uh, the first year that you guys came together. We came together and became friends, and um, really the, the birth of NABR. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, was, it was kind of odd how we, we all – I mean, we were all really close friends, and um, we have been for many years before we decided to join. And inform this team but um yeah we all had uh, actually mike rose and scott Pole had bowled together on a on a team prior and then uh, brian wallachek and gotchel were with their own group and then i was with um ernie schlegel and uh, dave Husted's group out of uh, oregon and washington so um yeah it was kind of crazy because the, the year before that hugh and i had um you know we had taken the doubles lead and and it was weird because after that um, there were some talks shortly after the, before the tournament was over about, Hey, you know, just, it was weird how the group chat started. And I, and I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, that Mike Rose and Brian Wallachek were bowling in, in Baton Rouge on the same squad. And, um, the conversation had just come up to say, uh, not that they didn't like the teams that they were on, but, you know, they, they were like, okay, we're getting older, you know, what could we do to possibly, you know, make a deep run at this event? And, you know, let's think of some good guys that we're close with that, you know, are talented bowlers, but more importantly, the most important thing was being a team player. Um, Cause there's a lot of great players out there that, you know, aren't, I wouldn't say that aren't team players, but, you know, when you ask them to sacrifice certain certain things or certain certain parts of their game, that becomes a much different um, conversation. So, um, yeah, so we were able to, to form that team. We bowled together for the first time in 2013. Um, you know, like I said, great group of guys, great friendship, great chemistry. Um, and the most important thing in addition to that was we could all communicate with each other and, Nobody got offended by what anybody would say. You know, everybody knew what the goal was. The goal was to win an eagle. That was all of our dreams. We hadn't, Mike had one prior. And, you know, Mike had described the feeling of just saying that, you know, the, the feeling of winning an eagle is, 
you know, it's the number one thing in bowling. And he said that the one thing that, you know, I don't have that I want is a team event. And, um, you know, he, did, he said all the right things and he facilitated most of, you know, getting together. And, um, you know, another important thing in winning is, is a companion team because um, having the right companion team, it's the same concept that you've got to, you've got to be a close group. You've got to all work together as 10 guys or 10 people. And uh, you've got to break the lanes down properly because I'm of the belief um, and I don't know this for a fact, but it's my belief that it's very difficult to win a team event if you don't have 10 people on the same page playing a game plan or, you know, whatever it is. But if, every, if you have 10 people on, on all doing their own thing, playing different parts of the lane, maybe once or twice a team has done that to win. But Bye. if you follow that, that standard, work together, be together, communicate, your chances of winning are much greater for sure. Well, individually, you guys all did great things prior to 2013. Uh, some at the Open Championships, you mentioned Mike's all events title and near back-to-back titles in 07 and 08. Uh, but you're right. You guys absolutely came together as a group. Uh, and that was evident from day one, really, 2013. Uh, Scott Pohl shot 300 in the team event. You guys made a run there. Uh, that set you up for, for a nice team all events run. And then, uh, and then you guys came out and shined in doubles as well. Uh, and that was uh, really when you came out as the, the team leader a little bit. That was the uh, infamous Bull TV nosebleed of 2013. Brian Walchek uh, nearly bled to death in between shots, uh, you know, in the settee. And, and you were there after each shot uh, with a, a fresh tissue for him to, to keep him in the game and keep you guys going. And uh, that's what a real teammate would do. And we're going to talk yeah. later about what the roles are within the team and what each guy is kind of expected to do and, and what you bring to the team. And, um, you know, that just shows your compassion and, and, and your, your uh, being a father at that point. Uh, but all joking aside, um, two years later, the dreams came true in uh, one of the most memorable finishes in Open Championships history. And uh, I got to see it in person. Hopefully Daniel Ferris got to catch it on the live stream. Uh, it was amazing, and, uh, and, and what it came down to was uh, just a phenomenal 10th frame for you guys. Worked as a team, communicated. Uh, walk us through that, and it was, it was certainly quiet in the convention center, uh, and you had center stage, and, uh, and it was amazing. I, I actually went back and watched that live stream today, by the way, preparing for this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to know that you can step up in the 10th frame – of the biggest event in the world and have a chance to take the lead. It wasn't to win, but you know, you can't win if you don't leave with the lead, but um, you know, I, I've got chills just thinking about it in that, you know, the thought process is in my thought process, you know, leading off was just, you know, kind of like just, you know, just like any other shot. I mean, you, 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 you vision the shot, you try and do the best that you can. Um, and I think that, I believe that I, you know, left a ring 10 pin and a strike because that's, that's how much I remember this 10th frame. But then, um, if I'm not mistaken, Paul got up and left a, what is it, 2-7? Two 2-7. Seven. Two seven. Two seven and he got one. And yep. then, you know, the other guys, uh, you know, the, the uh, Rose had struck out. Or Rose doubled, Wallachek doubled, and Gotcha had to double. So, um, you know, and, and being in that situation, it's just like – let me just do my part and watch the show because 
you couldn't ask for for four better people to follow you and and it's amazing the adversity that that's that pole face and getting up there i can only imagine uh, what was going through his mind when he did that that you know just i just let my team down but rather than just you know pouting and pouting and, and smacking stuff it's like he's immediately right back there behind the three the other three guys and yeah i mean unbelievable feeling and and you know people ask all the time you know name some people that you would want if you had to to get up in the 10th frame and in a must strike situation um so to win an event and there's no doubt in my mind that you know four of the people i would pick would be my teammates but yeah gotcha got up there and i mean like Daniel, you saw it today. I mean, uh-huh. the, the energy and and it's. I mean, I'm I'm at a loss for words. I mean, just just being part of that is just an unbelievable feeling. And you know, then you know after that, it's it's like gotta hope it holds up. And it's the waiting game, you know. And um, I think that's the worst part of it all. As as Matt would know, Daniel, you you know, I've I haven't communicated with you enough, but. Um, and I'm sure Matt, you'll get to it later in the show here, but uh, the waiting game plays a very large role mentally and uh, on my heart, uh, to say the least. But, uh, yeah, you should show everybody your face right now. Here, look at this. <laughs> look at this. Look at this kid right here. <laughs> and I think he soiled his diaper. Oh. So, uh, but, uh, but before we get into the, the, the waiting game of it, I wanted to ask you about that 2015 lineup. When people look at, at those five names, the, the uneducated would say, oh, you can throw those five guys in any spot in the lineup and that would work. But those of us that have, have bowled at high levels before know that each player has a role yeah. in that lineup. Yeah. How did you guys set that lineup? Was there a specific reason that maybe you were in the two, so you were leadoff or you had Gotchel fifth? What was the thinking behind that? Well, the, it was actually funny because – you know, when you have five talented players, um, sometimes you have ego come into play. So, you know, some people would take offense to say, hey, Brian, I know you would be a five-man on any other team, but you're going to be four. Or, you know, Scott, I know you'd be a five-man, but you're going to be in the two-hole. There was never that – there was never any um, animosity. There was never any anger, never any – negativity about where any of us were going to be in the slot. Um, I was the lead off because uh, they considered me more of like the cheerleader, set the pace, you know, more of a higher energy guy. And, um, you know, there was another reason for it too, is because, you know, they, my ball, my ball roll, honey, I'm going to get him. My ball roll, um, sorry. You're fine. Is, is very simple, but it's easy to read. So um, when you're getting into the strategy of breaking the lanes down properly or being able to see the lanes transition, um, you know, I was kind of like the guinea pig, which I was okay with that. And as, as the pattern starts to develop, um, you know, then the different bowling styles come into play. So now it's like, okay, well, you know, now it's time for some people to move. Is it too early to move? Is it too late to move? You know, things like that. But I kind of always was the one with – a higher rev rate, but my ball didn't really hook. So I was able to like chew the lane up in the spot that we wanted to burn it out in. So 
you know, I was kind of set in that one hole for that reason. And then it just kind of followed after that. I mean, it was kind of like, um, you know, anybody can be the five, but, you know, Mike made the decision and everybody was okay with it. So. Now, getting yeah. back to the waiting game, um, you guys set the number in late April of that year. So you had just about two and a half months to, to sit back and watch. Now we talked to Matt McNeil in episode number one, and he said that back in the day, you know, players would, uh, get a subscription to the city's newspaper before the internet, before all that was around. And they would follow the scores in the newspaper each day and each week. Um, we're a little more technological now. How do you guys go about watching those scores? I hope my teammates listen to this because they're, they're probably chuckling right now when I'm going to answer this. But um, Brian Wallachek is a closet watcher. He gets so mad at us. When we text in the group text, he was like, you guys are idiots. You guys, why are you watching that? Don't waste your time. You have no control. I guarantee you that guy's data was just as bad as mine watching scores. And I busted him a couple times. But, um, you know, Paul is kind of like in the same way. Paul would watch here and there. But um, when the live stream in, in, in 15, we were able to watch, you know, a lot of the team's bowl. So, um we would actually, my family would have watch parties over here in the back living room and watch every single live stream. I mean, it became an obsession. It became a part of our life. Um, you know, it, we almost felt like the, like the Miami Dolphins, whatever, the 70 whatever Dolphins, when they went, <laughs> you know, get together. But, um, you know, it's not that you're rooting against people, but you are. I mean, you obviously want to win. Um, yeah, Marcy was Marcy had the horns out on people, but uh, it, it definitely is. It's it's an, it's unless you've been in that situation and having to wait in a position to win the biggest event you can win in the world for a team. It's it's indescribable. Um, I mean, it's it's becomes like a mental illness. It becomes an, obs <laughs> an obsession. I mean, it's 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 just hard to describe. I mean, it's. The, the way, like I told them guys, I said, after that year, I said, Mike, I want to bowl on like July 5th or whatever the last day is because I can't take it anymore. Of course. <laughs> well, you know. if, if I was going to, if I was going to rate Adam Varda in 2015 compared to 2017, which we'll get to, uh, on a scale of one to 10, I think the, uh, the Varda score watching of 2015 probably give you a three. And, and you just explained a little bit about that. You had the, the live stream to watch some of the teams. Uh, but uh, 2017 was off the charts. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, it was a 73, maybe even higher. Uh, and I look forward to hearing that story and maybe Marcy's uh, version as well. Um, oh, but... <laughs> oh, Daniel, you'll like it. It's, it's, it's cool. You'll appreciate it. Uh, but, uh, but shifting gears, of course, you know, the, the first one, special as anything, I'm sure. Um, and then – uh, moving on, 2016 was a great year as well. You guys bowled well at the yeah. National Bowling Stadium and, uh, you know, had a, some, some top finishes. Uh, but 2017 was where it kind of came together. And, and, and I got to see the transition for NABR. Um, you know, got to have dinner with you guys and see that off the lanes, it was the same. The chemistry, the camaraderie, it was all there. Uh, you know, whether it was at a restaurant or blackjack table or just, just hanging out, just talking. Um, and that transfers very well to what we saw on the lanes um and again going back to the family aspect of things and, and how much that means to you to have your family involved and treat the guys like family uh going into 2017 we knew 
uh, Mike Rose's sister was, was very ill. Um, and unfortunately, uh, the day before you guys had the team event, uh, Mike got some, some yeah. terrible news. Uh, and then yes. you guys had a lot, a lot to think about, a lot to talk about at that point. Uh, and you decided to bowl the team event. That was the number one thing. Uh, was uh, to bowl the team event, and then Mike was going to leave right after. Uh, and then you figure out doubles and singles and how that was going to work. But um, what an emotional thing to have to to go through. And you know, of course, already emotional for you guys in a, in a different regard. But but real life emotions. Talk about that conversation before 2017 team event. Yeah, I mean, it was. Um, I'll never forget because. I, I, we all met in the morning uh, for breakfast and we would just hang out, go sit outside or whatever. Cause we usually go four or five days before we actually bowl for the side events and then the, the team practice and just to settle in, get comfortable with each other, you know, catch up on things. But um, yeah, I walked down into the coffee shop in the morning um, at uh, South Point and Mike didn't even need to say anything to me. I, I, I he turned around and you could just tell that the look on it, I mean, the look on his face is just said it all. Um, you know, he looked at me and just said, Adam, you know, she's gone. And, um, you know, you can do nothing but, you know, nothing but hug him. Um, you know, unfortunately, with with people with that disease, you, I mean, my father passing away from it, um, you know the end is coming. Uh, you try and mentally prepare yourself for it, but you... You know, even when you know it's coming in the matter of minutes or hours, um, it's just never easy. Um, so, you know, Mike knew it was coming. He just didn't know it was coming then. Um, you know, he was hopeful that she could hang on until he got home. But, um, you know, one of the great things about that is before Mike came out, he was on the fence of saying, you know, my sister, um, you know, obviously isn't doing well. Hospice is there. Um you know, she's, he's just unsure what to do. And, and she gave him, and it was almost something like something out of a Rocky movie when, when, you know, Rocky's wife wakes up, Adrian wakes up and says, you know, go in. And, you know, she gave him that, that um, encouragement to, you know, go bowl, go win, win for me. And, um, you know, that's all he needed to know, you know, that the only person that he had to worry about was her and, and he got her blessing. And, um, yeah, I mean, just an unfortunate circumstance for sure. And, you know, how how you could even mentally get to that point to bowl um, is beyond me. He did it. And um, yeah, it's, we, we took the lead and um, it held up. I mean, it's just, it's an amazing story and definitely in her honor for sure. Uh, you guys took the lead. You shot 32-66. Uh, you can't win unless you leave in the lead, of course. Uh, but uh, what that ended up being was the lowest winning score since 1990, I believe, was the number. Um, mm-hmm. So that what that meant to to hold on to that title certainly was incredible. Uh, and then to to sweat out that number over the next couple of months, and then uh, it got even tougher for you guys because, as I said, Mike got on a plane that night, went home to be with his family. Uh, and he and Scotty Pohl were going to bowl doubles, so they, they postponed for almost a month. Uh, the rest yeah. of you guys, you, Brian Walchek, um, and Anthony Pepe, you went out there and, and bowled the next day uh, and bowled incredible again. You just kept striking. You flirted with 300, had 299, yeah. made a run at singles. Um, all of that time, certainly, with Mike Rose and his family on your minds and uh, you know the great head start for Team All Events and what it would mean to win not only one but two. 
uh, and you got to set the bar high. And uh, certainly they came back knowing that it was within reach. Um, you waited the, the four or five weeks, whatever it was, till they came back, uh, mm-hmm. and then, then they bowled, and they got there. They got what they needed to get, and you guys mm-hmm. were on top of Team All Events as well. And then that's when Adam Barta started to, to go insane, as you said. Um, just talk about that. Obviously, those two titles meant so much more than just Eagles at that point yes. for, for everything that you guys have been through. Um, so no doubt that, that made you want it even more. There was no live streaming. So you had us and you had live scoring. Uh, and luckily, you have a very uh, supportive and cooperative wife as well. Yeah. Uh, well, no thanks to you because you guys, you and Aaron, toy with me all the time. So <laughs> I will not thank you for that. But, uh, you know, uh, I think – and I tried to look at work and I found a reference because I went through and counted every single snapshot that I took on my old phone. And Marcy, I didn't count, well, Marcy couldn't find her pieces of notebook paper. She kept ledgers and books of everybody's frame that bowled, like all the strong teams and just dwindled it down to these people. She kept games one, two, three, it's just crazy. So I went back and, and made a, so I had, 3,266 snapshots of people's scores from the time we left until the end of the tournament. Yeah. That, <laughs> Matt was not exaggerating when on a scale of 1 to 10, it would be a 72. Um, and the best part about that is I live on the East Coast, so I'm three hours ahead of Las Vegas, Nevada. So. When these squads, and I think Matt probably intentionally started some squads late just to mess with me. <laughs> some squads that started at midnight or three o'clock my time. And it's, you know, I, there, were probably, there were probably 35 or 40 occasions where I legit slept for 30 minutes and then went to work. Because I stayed up and you had so many good teams that, you know, so many great bowlers go through there. And you've got to watch until the end. So, you know, then I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to watch tonight. Like a couple of times I'd be like, I'm not going to watch. I'm just, whatever happens, happens. That way I can, I can just be done with this. Right. So I would fall, I would fall asleep at 1115. I'm up at 1205, checking my phone, then I'm up the whole night. It is, <laughs> oh, it's, Daniel, it's unbelievable that it's, I can't even describe it. It's beyond a mental illness. Um, you know, but I, I can't say that I never want to, I never want to have to have that feeling again, because that would be a total lie. Um, I would love to have that feeling again and probably, um, I don't know, have complications from lack of sleep this time because I'm getting older, but, but Matt is older than me. Um, yeah, well, geez, five, five months. Yeah. The, the, the question that I have about 2017 is, of course, there was that almost, like you guys said, a month between when you three bowled your singles and doubles and when Pole and Rose came back. Once, you know, the, everything was, was kind of put to bed with, with Mike's sister and, and they started to kind of get, not get past it, but get away from it. What kind of conversations, bowling-related, were had between you three who'd already set the number and Mike and, and, um, uh, and Scott to go out, hey, Okay, you guys got to go put a number up to match us so we can take this lead in, in team all events. Right. So 
we were able to now Mike and Scott would have bowled with us and it's the same concept, but with less bowlers. I mean, you, you're working together, you're trying to break the lanes down, you know, but we were able to bowl with, um, you know, it was, it was Pepe, myself, uh, Brian, um, uh, Bob, um, yeah, Bob Wiley. And then it was Chris Lamb and somebody else, um, bowling on our pair. But anyway, um, you know, Paul stayed and watched. Paul stayed behind, so he was able to watch, and he was extremely helpful with being able to, you know, see things and, you know, the transition um, and kind of, like, walk us through certain things. But, you know, there was kind of like a team meeting without Mike there to say, you know, that not like not like you wouldn't typically try um, your best anyway, but, you know, there was a little added um, incentive, little added, I wouldn't call it pressure, but – you know, you want to, you want to do something special for Mike and, and, you know, do this in honor of his sister. But um, it was just a, an amazing, an amazing thing how well all three of us were able to bowl because, um, you know, mentally we were like, well, let's, you know, let's set the bar as high as we can, you know, possibly. So because Mike and Scott were coming back with the unknown of who they were going to bowl with. And there's a funny story behind that because um, when they were finally able to set their date and they were able to bowl, you know, we wanted to, um, you know, we were communicating with them. And I got to tell you the story because it's so funny. So Scott polls in the paddock with, you know, I said, well, who's on your pair? You know, we're all wondering who's on your pair. Do you know him? And Scott, Scott and Michael, like, we have no idea who these people are, you know? So he's, they're looking up their averages to try and see, you know, you know, what kind of bowlers they are and things like that. And, and Scott went up to the guy and he's like, Hey, um, you know, so what do you think about this lane condition? And, you know, we have this idea that if we all started, you know, to the right at this part of the lane, we could break it down. We can work together. You know, and this guy's like playing Scott the whole time for like 10 minutes. <laughs> he looked at Scott and goes, by the way, we're doing our own thing. You're not on our team. <laughs> Scott was like devastated because he's oh, like, oh my God, these guys are going to screw us, you know, but, um, you know, it ended up being, you know, that I think the guy was just more so messing with them because Scott was so paranoid about, you right. know, you know, just because that it's, it's so crucial to play the lanes properly there that, you know, if you have a few people that are doing their own thing or throw a lot of surface or plastic, urethane, whatever, your chances are not good. So, uh, yeah, this guy totally played Scott the whole time. It was so funny because <laughs> it ended up working out. I mean, you know, they, they pulled well. Their carry wasn't great, but, yeah, it was just it was so funny because he's like, oh, my God, I'm devastated. This guy can be. <laughs> uh, can you describe watching that all unfold from far away? I know you had planned to come out there and watch in person, but um, just talk about what the, what the three of you guys were doing from a distance on, on that day. Definitely. Well, I mean, all year round, and there's not even like a lag of any time. I mean, we have a, we have our group team text, um, you know, that we're always just talking about everything, just life and, and just, but um, yeah, so we just kept that same thread going, but we added um, Ruth Rose with, you know, obviously Mike's wife and um, was, who else did we add to that? I mean, Marcy, we added you to it, but you know, so we were all communicating with each other and um, and we were trying to get like the play by play from Ruth and and them that were actually there, 
And then, um, of course, you had like people like Harvey Johnson and other people there that were completely messing with me. So uh, Matt probably told me to do that. But, uh, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, these guys are more good. But these guys over here are, you know, on pace for whatever. I'm like, whatever, you know, just, but uh, yeah, it was crazy. But it, the communications and the frame by frame and, you know, just, just, it was, it was crazy. I mean, it's hard to describe, but, um, you know, the, the goal was to, to get as much as we could to put as, as least amount of pressure as possible on Mike and Scott because of the unknown of, you know, not only just losing your sister, which is the most important thing, but the other thing is just not, not knowing who you're going to bowl with. Um, you know, nobody intentionally goes there to screw lanes up, but again, playing the lanes properly with the right equipment goes a long way. And we just didn't know, you know who they were going to be paired with. So it was important for us to get as much as we could. Well, certainly you going, you yourself going on plus 200 in singles and doubles, you know, helped uh, take some of the pressure off their shoulders. And Scott and Mike went out there, shot 644, 653, 619, and 644. So, no, they didn't light the world on fire, but you guys took care of that for them. Yes. So you're sitting at home, you're, you're in the group text, you're watching scores, you know, on the live scoring, uh, on, you know, from, from there at South Point. Once they finished up and you did the math and saw that you all had the lead, what was, you know, what was that like? just that moment, not being at the stadium or not being at the arena, but being at home, getting that realization? Well, actually I was with the live stream because Matt was finally nice enough to put it on there. Um, it was hard for me to even see the screen because I, I was just completely bawling my eyes out for you know, <laughs> pure happiness because, I mean, we, we, we thought that that – the team event we thought – well, if you ask Wallachek, he's like, you know, well, we're going to beat next week, you know. And then, but the team all events number, we were really comfortable with that number for as hard as the lanes were. We're like, you know, that that's a huge number. And we, we always felt confident about that. And, um, yeah, I mean, just tears of joy and happiness. You know, we, there was never a guarantee it was going to hold up. But, again, we were confident about it. But I was so happy and relieved for Mike, you know, just to go through all of that and to come there and – you know, and not know who you're bowling with and to be able just to stay afloat. I mean, those, for as hard as the shot was, those are still good scores. Uh, you know, the oh, yeah. best, but they never let that get to them. I mean, they, they grinded, they're grinders. They've been around a long time. They know, you know, they know how it works and they, they set goals. Um, you know, we, we set a target number and they exceeded it. So, you know, they, they did great, but yeah, I mean, just, yeah, the amount of crying that took place that night was was amazing, um, to say the least. Well, I know it's uh, it's probably not right for us to to play favorites at all, but again, since our conversation back in 2013, uh, definitely uh, have tons of respect for you and for your team, and 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 look forward to seeing you guys every year. Uh, and of course, given the the storylines, uh, you couldn't help but kind of cheer a little bit for the success and for you guys getting there and. Um, at that point, I probably should have bought some stock in Office Depot, maybe knowing that uh, the amount of flip charts and utensils and things that were coming your way uh, to yeah. keep track of everything over the next couple of months. You didn't sleep for two months. Um, again, knowing how much it all meant to you. Uh, and then when it was finally over, uh, talk about just seeing the, the, the lights go dark on the lanes. So I know we messed with you that last squad for sure, 100%. Uh, oh, yeah. we, we let you have it. Uh, but then it was over, and you guys had just won two more Eagles uh, and that would make four for micros and immediately hall of fame conversations happening. Uh, you know, three for you guys. 
Uh, Pepe gets his first wins at the OC. Uh, but most of all, uh, you got it done for Shelly. Talk about the relief at that moment. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that first and foremost, that was for Shelly. I mean, it was for Mike's sister. Um, you know, that's that was what it was for. Um, and a funny story with, with Pepe was that, um, you know, because that was his first year with us, and looking up at that board, and I'll never forget it, and Pepe, I hope you're watching this, buddy. Um, we were standing next to each other as they were doing the announcements and walking out, and you see the Eagles next to each person's name, and his didn't have one. And he's like, you know, he goes, you know something's missing there. I said, it's only going to be missing this year. Next year you're going to have – next year you're going to have one, buddy. And um, lo and behold, it was ended, ended up being two. But, um, yeah, I mean, just uh, just truly amazing. And um, the when you, when you win in in then next year when you come back, knowing you're 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 defending your title, but just and I say this all the time is especially you two and, and the entire USBC staff. You guys do such a wonderful job in creating the biggest stage in bowling to make you think, not only is it the biggest event, you make it feel like it's the biggest event that you could possibly win. And that feeling of, you know, everybody's already walked out and then you're behind the curtain and you're walking out as champions of the previous year of the biggest team event you can possibly win in the world. And you get to pick your, you know, in just like the days leading up, you know, what song do you want to walk out to? And, you know, kind of like the red carpet treatment. I mean, just um, it's, the, the feeling is just unbelievable. It's, it's so hard to describe, but um, you have a sense of, if you've never had it and then you have it, you have a sense of like hunger and, and urgency to be like, oh my God, I mean, that was an amazing feeling. You, I want to do that. I mean, nobody, not that everybody doesn't want to win every year, but I mean, you know, just one more time. Let's win one more time. I mean, that feeling is so amazing. Um, and yeah, I mean, to be able to, to be able to walk out again and not only win one Eagle, but two, um, you know, it was truly amazing. And, um, and I'll never forget, you know, we, we came out and, um, you know, Pete was, crying like crazy you know he got the sponsors trophy and you know i'll never forget he held it up like it was the stanley cup like it was you know the greatest thing ever but you know he also knew what it was for and, and who it was for um but uh yeah just to come back and say the following year and and to and to share the story of of why um and who we won that for was something that i was waiting for the entire year and um we knew one of us was going to talk. Mike wasn't able to talk about it, um, obviously. But you know, you know, I it was it wasn't easy for me to do it, but to announce to everybody that you know it was in honor of his sister was was truly something special and something we waited an entire year to to come back and do. And you know, just an amazing, just it's amazing. You know, well, Syracuse was drivable for you guys, so you had the family there with you, uh, and I remember it's uh, standing out. Just having the whole family out there on the approach, taking photos. When when the team event was over, of course you had a job to do. Um, you know, at that point it was time to turn around. Lights come on, time to bowl. Uh, but afterwards we had some fun. Some of the, the nicest trophies I've ever seen. 
Uh, and then to have both of them have the whole family there, the photos, and um, certainly meaningful for us as well. Part of the, the process, that's kind of the end of the process for us. Uh, it all starts when you take the lead, the photos, the interviews, uh, the phone calls being an absolute highlight. Uh, and it kind of it tails off until you come back. And for some, you see the banner for the first time with your names on it. You see that eagle next to your name on the scoreboard. Uh, but to hold those trophies and take those photos and know that that's forever, uh, yep. that's pretty amazing. And uh, the fact that we get to be a part of that, and Ferris now will have that opportunity hopefully here in 2020 to share that experience with uh, some of this year's champions. And, um, you know, again, to, to see it all through. You see it from the beginning uh, and to see it all through. And, and then for you guys, um, things changed a little bit in, uh, in, in 2019 and 18 even. Um, you know, Rob Godsall. Moving on, finding uh, another group to compete with. Uh, now he's working with us at USBC. Uh, and some rule changes meant that Anthony Pepe had to go and uh, find another group. And he did, he did pretty well last year. Uh, we'll see him coming back out with another presentation in 2020 as a, a defending Team All Events champion. So uh, he helped his new group there at the South Point Bowling Plaza. Uh, Scotty Pohl was out with an injury in 2019, right? Uh, yeah. So what is, uh, what is in store for us? In the, in the future, what, is, uh, what does Team NABR have coming up in 2020? Uh, and what are you guys doing to, to stay sharp and stay ready for the next event? Well, I mean, you know, like you said, because of the rule changes um, two years ago, um, you know, with Pepe having to go out, we replaced Anthony Pepe with Vernon Peterson, um, you know, because of the, you know, his group had to split up because of, you know, the rule changes. So, again, Vernon was a perfect fit, and we've known Vernon for many years, and team player, um, he just fit the mold. And, you know, we reached out to a few people, not like an interview process, but just reached out to a few people to see, you know, and, and, and Vernon was definitely the right, the right fit for us, um, you know, for sure. And then uh, 2019, um, Paul was because uh, he lives in Minnesota, probably shoveling 84 foot of snow uh, <laughs> from, uh, from shoveling snow and it just never got right. And, you know, Scott being uh, unselfish as he is, I mean, he could have tried to bowl, um, but he chose not to because he felt that it would be detrimental to the team to, to bowl. Um, so we were able to replace him with Tim Pfeiffer and Tim bowled lights out. I mean, Tim bowled phenomenal and even all the side events and everything, um, you know, and he was the right fit. You know, he's also a very good player, but a good team player. Uh, we get along with them. We can joke with them. And, and, you know, those are the important things to us. It's that, you know, it's not about having the, the best talent, but it's about having the best chemistry for us. So, uh, yeah, this year we're back to um, – we fired Tim Pfeiffer. But I want to thank him for his generosity and splitting up his USBC check for us. Tim, I hope you're watching. I love you. Um, him and I play games with each other all the time. But, uh, you know, Tim's a great guy, great bowler. But, yeah, we're back to the old group. Um, we are Paul, Rose, Wallachek, Vernon, and myself for 2020. So, in, in the seven years that Team NABR has been together since you all, you know, began back in 2013, in those seven years, five Team All Events top 10 finishes, and those other two finishes were both top 15. From different corners of the country, how do you guys throughout the year coordinate this? And then at what point in the year do you start preparing to get ready for this? Because obviously you guys are doing something right with the massive amounts of success you've had in this just short time period. 
and that this is a communication between all 10 of us with the with the companion team as well but you know with and again it's all about communication but you we've got and i won't speak for myself because i'm not that savvy with with ball drillings and, and layouts and stuff like that i mean i know enough and i know from, about surfaces and things like that but you know um you know mike works for ace mitchell um he has a lot of contacts and a lot of references and he obviously before he went to Ace Mitchell, ran a pro shop in Rochester. Um, Scott Pohl owns On Track, um, the bowling supply, and owns pro shops. Brian Wallachek also, and Vernon. I mean, Vernon, everybody knows Vernon. Vernon bowls all over the place, and he has contacts, and he does ball reviews for Bowler's Journal. You know, so it's, it's a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, um, a lot of communication, but um, you know, it's kind of feeling out and, and talking to the people that are bold and the people that you can trust and, um, you know, trying to, the, the theory with, with us is the last several years is that the USBC did such a masterful job in, in making them difficult and making you work as a team and as a group. And if you didn't, it was very hard for you to win. So we knew, generally speaking, that you know, the patterns may change in length and a little bit of volume, but for the most part, they're not going to steer away from that because they want that, you know, in our opinion, they wanted that number team winning event to be in the 3,300 range. They don't want 35, 3,600s to win because that's just not right. So we knew that generally speaking that the balls that would, that would work, um, you know, the last four or five years from what I remember, I mean, the same bowling balls have pretty much worked. Um, you know, in lane topography comes into play. And once we find out the pair that we're on, you, you have the ability to look up the lane topography to see, you know, what the lane does and, you know, what the characteristics are. So, you know, we do a lot of research. There's, there's a lot of behind the scenes kind of thing. You asked the perfect question is that, you know, it's not just 10 guys showing up, see, see you a couple of days before and, you know, let's try and win this thing. There's, there's preparation all year round. Um, you know, it's, 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 you know, what balls do we think are going to work? What balls don't we think are going to work? Hey, I've talked to so-and-so and it's somebody you can trust that hey, this didn't work or the theory of let's throw urethane down the middle get some, get some push in the middle part of the lane. How did that work out for certain teams? Um, the lefty mafia, you know, that with uh, Scroggins, they had the idea of let's get 10 lefties, let's camp out on each other and see what happens. So, everybody has a theory and everybody has a game plan the ones that want to win and and your 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 top tier bowlers they all have this theory and this game plan and you know the first goal is sticking with it and well first goal is hoping it works second goal is sticking with it but you know for us it's it's again it goes back to what i said earlier it's it's I'm not afraid for Mike Rose or any of the teammates to come up and say, Adam, you know, you've got to stay right. You've got to ball down. You've you got you to stay there. I know you're not going to shoot 220. I know you're going to shoot 190, but that 190 is more valuable to us that you break that spot down properly for games two and three. You know, so, uh -huh. so that 190 turns out to be way more valuable later than it does than me bowling 220 now. Like you'll see some teams and, and, you know, you've got enough exposure, but Matt, you've been around a lot longer is that you'll see some teams. They'll start off with like 1150. And those are the teams when we're watching, we're like, 
They're done. Because it might be their game one, but you've probably started too far left, and then there's nowhere to go. You know, you, your ball may look good through the first 45, 50 feet of the lane, but when it gets to the pocket, it's got no energy or the angle's not right and your carry's horrible. So we just kind of stick with the same game plan and, you know, kind of the, the, the same equipment. And, you know, we've been around with each other long enough to know, you know, what our roles are at this point. And, you know, like you said, you know, five top uh, yeah, 10 yeah, finishes yeah. or 15 finishes in team all events. So, what, yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, look at this. Show everybody your face now. This is great. Look at that. <laughs> but, uh, Love the smile, by the way. The smile was perfectly timed. This is how odd this child is. So he just ate chocolate ice cream. And he's eating salt and vinegar pork rinds. And he poured those for himself. He and, would normally have that. Yeah, that's the... This, oh, Oh, we had a fire it's a recipe for success right there. So we had a fire the other night in the driveway and with the projection thing. So there's popcorn left over from the night before that's all smashed up with dirt in it. Well, guess who ate it? <laughs> this guy right here. <laughs> and guess who was supervising? That guy on your screen. Oh, you got to let him in. It builds up in a good immune system. <laughs> anyway, but... Um, like you... you, you you, you said something perfect there. You said that we, we've been together long enough. We all know our roles. And yeah. you kind of segued me into my next question, which was perfect, by the way. Thank you. you know, each, each team, whether it's a Baker team or a, a team at the OC or a high school state championship team, each player has a role, whether it's one guy at your all's level coordinating travel efforts or there's one guy that you know is going to get a mark, 90 out of 90 frames. There's one guy who you know is going to throw a double. What's your role in this group? And then for you five, how would you categorize your four teammates' roles within your, your team? That's a great, great question. So, obviously, my role as leadoff is, you know, more, more cheerleader. But, again, my, my goal is because, you know, I have a high – it's kind of odd. I have a high rev rate, but my ball doesn't tilt. Um, so – I'm able to stay as far right as possible or probably the longest, but still at the same time with my rev rate, kind of like burn the lane up a little bit and a little bit longer. So, you know, you could call it sacrifice. You could call it um, breaking them down better, whatever you want to call it. That would be kind of my role in that, you know, and then when it's time to move in and get after it, you know, then it's a free for all, but you've got to develop that spot. And Scott being in, the, in second position, you know, Scott's a straight player as well, very accurate. You know, the rev rate isn't as high, but he's able to stay right. He can stay right with us. So, you know, as, as you're going down in the order of the team that we've got now, or even even let's go back to when Gotchel bowled, you know, if you take it in the order of, of you know, tilt, you've got, it was myself, Pole, Rose, Wallachek, and then Gotchel. You know, well, Pepe after that, but then, you know, it was the same order. We never changed that. And then when, um, you know, when Piper came last year, uh, we put Wallachek. But Piper has more tilt. But anyway, we put Wallachek there just because he's more experienced. And, you know, um, not that Piper couldn't bowl fifth, but I just didn't like him and I don't want him to bowl fifth. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, it, it, it's – and Mike Mike is also – Mike can hook it if he needs to, but Mike isn't a super high rev rate guy and, you know, just not going to get himself in trouble. But, 
you know, being able to have those guys with the biggest tilt bowl last was key for us because as the lanes start to break down and they develop the way that we wanted them to, that for myself, a straight guy or Scott, a straight guy, the more that they hook, we've got to open our angles up to the front. So that brings our carry down. The guys that can hook it more and have better tilt, they can kind of get in and go away with it to the spot that we've burned up. So their carry percentage is higher. So we know that come game three, when strikes are needed, that we know that all five of us can throw a strike, but the, the carry percentage or the chances are better that they do because their their carry is better, their tilt's better, you know, and more toward the end. So um, early on, you know, the straight guys are going to, you know, probably bowl better because, you know, you don't want to hook it early. And then later when that spot's developed, your hook guys are obviously going to hopefully – you know, strike better. So. Now, we know all you guys are very talented on the lanes, on the approach, uh, but it's more than that. It's keeping things uh, calm and light off the lanes uh, as well. Um, and you guys are right when you're not bowling, uh, but things don't always go well. You're not always taking the lead. Uh, but what does each of you bring to the group in the settee or off the lanes? Or what do you offer to, to keep things fun? Because that's part of it. It's, it's, it's fun. Yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of um, probably the not a lot of ball busting going on. I'm sorry for the poor choice of words there, but um, it's, it's the first thing that comes to mind. Is is we always we always kid with each other. We're always you know we don't take offense to anything that anybody says. Yes, we do often, but um, no, it, it, it's just keeping you know keeping ourselves level headed. We we you don't see any of us swearing, kicking things, throwing stuff around. Um, it's, you know, we're, we're everybody's cheerleader. We're everybody's sense of encouragement. But again, it's all about communication. We, not one of us will take offense to anything that anybody says to each other and trying to help. So, you know, and sometimes you need adversity and sometimes you need to lose because you learn from those things. You learn from those mistakes and it only, you know, Everybody has adversity in their life or anything that they do. It's, it's a matter of what you do with that adversity, and you can always turn that into a positive. So, you know, some humble pie for us or whatever you want to call it, some adversity, we turn that into a positive. We know what not to do. We, there were some years that we didn't do, you know, obviously we want to win every year, but, you know, we're like, man, so looking back at this, what did we do wrong you know, as a team, how did we play these lanes incorrectly? Because, you know, the one year, I forget what it was. I mean, we all had that game plan to stay right and break them down. And then we, we made them virtually impossible because we clipped them where, like, there was that hook spot to the right, but it was like a two or three board area, a two or three board area that if you didn't hit that the right way, it was bad. So we learned that. You know, when we're breaking them down, we're not breaking down the same two or three boards. We want to break down a five or six board area, you know, with different traces down the lane. So you're kind of developing the lane properly. So, um, yeah, it's it's if if the team suggests that I change a ball, you know, I in my in my mind, I'm probably like, no, that's probably not what I want to do. Um, and I'm probably the most stubborn when it comes to that. And last year, I probably should have done it, but I was stubborn and I didn't. Um, 
you know, but it's all about being open and, and trying, you know, what the team is suggesting and, you know, things like that. So, um, Lofton. This kid's terrible twos is full, full effect over here. It's a real thing. <laughs> but, uh, oh, there he is. He's being good. <laughs> but, no, it, 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 it's truly it's, – it's, we have such great chemistry and great friendship that – um, I, I, it's one of the keys to success. It, it's, it, it truly is. It's, you know, talent gets you so far, but chemistry and friendship and communication is it's very just as important. Whoa! All right, now we know that, uh, that you're, you're a team guy, you're a family guy, uh, and I think you, you probably think more about other people than, uh, than anybody I've ever met. Um, and as a, as a weekend warrior, uh, bowling is your, kind of your other job. Um, but, uh, the amount of things you do for others and the charities and the Guinness book of world records, and, uh, you even have your own nation, the Barta nation, like you are, you are a big deal. Um, and, and rightfully earned, uh, of course, people support all the great things you do. And before we wrap up, uh, talk about that and what those endeavors mean, um, you know, how you're able to use your celebrity status almost and to go out there and, and work hard for other people and, and what those opportunities are like. And, and well, thank you for that opportunity because I, I mean I truly do like to share, you know this this story and, and and this part of it because, you know, when I do when I do speak at various venues or, or to kids and things like that, it's you know just in general, um, you know God gives each and every one of us a gift. There's no doubt about it. And um, you know early on as a kid, my 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 parents engraved that into me, and and you know they they said when you figure out what that gift is. You know, try and make the world a better place. Try and do what you can to make the world a better place. And, you know, for the longest time, I, you know, I, I knew that I was good at bowling, but, and I always enjoyed helping people. And, but I wanted to do something bigger. I wanted to do something more, um, you know, not only because I've got four children that I can, you know, help and become a role model to, but they can carry that torch too. So um, this may take a few minutes, but I want to share it anyway, is that, um, my, my father was diagnosed in, in September of 2010 with cancer. Um, they gave him two weeks to live and I'll try and run through this as quick as I can, but, um, he lost, it was just like devastation. He, you know, you know, Adam, what can I do? And, you know, I said, dad, all we can do is hope. I mean, they, they gave you two weeks to live and let's make the most of it. But long story short with his illness is that he lived two and a half years. He, he beat the odds, you know, and he passed away on, on December 24th in 2012, Christmas Eve. And he wanted nothing more but to hang on for Christmas. But, you know, the unfortunate part was that he didn't. And, you know, it was, there was a reason for that, which I'll get to is that, you know, after that, um, you know, early on, it's like, okay, well, you know, Christmas is ruined this year and, you know, it would be depressing, but, you know, Marcy and I talked about it. We're like, well, you know what, let's, instead of, you know, being sad and, you know, we do what we are, but let's do something in my dad's honor. Let's share his story. You know, he, he, he truly beat the odds and the power of hope is, is truly, truly an amazing thing. So we started a foundation. It was called Barta Nation Families Foundation, where we sought out families or individuals that were sick and that were in need of, you know, this encouragement, but also in need of help financially or a gift, food, whatever it needed to be. And it started off with just a few people um, the following year, which it progressed into 2015. 
where this the foundation was a place we were delivering to families and then i was tagged on this post in facebook about this um, george Falingos in australia that had this this guinness record uh, for the most pins in one hour um, and i see c pennington out of columbus is and i think he was the first one to tag me said adam you got to do this this is this is right up you know this is you can do this right so i'm looking at this guy's video really cool video um how you know behind the scenes and he's this australian marathon runner great shape and i'm like see this dude runs marathons you know there's no way that i'm gonna be able to throw continuous shots for an hour and beat this guy right so it got progressively just the, the, nobody would leave it alone. You got to do this, got to do this. Hammer jumped on board. Lori Mraz jumped on board. Craig Elliott with Bullstream. You know, we got this thing into place where, where we were only the TNBA, the Reed Hawthorne in Cleveland, and the TNBA offered, you know, the bowling center, Wycliffe Lanes offered the center, and TNBA offered the free service for the live stream. And Craig's like, Adam, you can make this into a big thing. You can help your charity. You know, get, spread the word for your father. I'm like, you know, let's do it, right? So as things progressed and we found out about this record and I go to practice for the first time and I gotta tell you guys the story is, I'm like, all right, you know, let's do this. You know, it's continuous shots, one lane, one hour, clock never stops. Turn the lane on, I'm shot after shot after shot after shot, I'm puffing and puffing. I looked at Marcy and I said, how long have I gone? Like 40 minutes, she has 12 minutes. I'm like, <laughs> You know, so in my mind, I'm mentally like, you know, I'm not even gonna be able to last the hour, let alone, let alone beat this record. So there was a post that I had noticed in just typical Facebooking and, and they said, Adam should be more worried about his weight and lasting the hour than beating my record, or beating the record. So I'm like, okay, that's, that's all the motivation that I needed. So I would practice, you know, 400 shots an hour, just trying to get the endurance. Not until the Tuesday before the record, that I actually beat it. I beat it by 80 pins. So I'm like, all right, I can last the hour. I can beat the record. Let's do this. Go up to the Reed Hawthorne Bowl, up team games in the tournament, ended up finishing second. And then they're like, all right, let's go. It's, you know, TV time. You ready to go? And I looked at Marcy and I'm like, I'm freaking tired. And she's like, well, you better suck it up like now because you got a lot of people here, you know, don't disappoint. So anyway, the record was 2,132 pins. I got 2,706. I beat it by 500 and some pins. Uh -huh. idea, you know, just pure adrenaline, you know, knowing what it was for, just so many things involved. But we were able to raise several thousand dollars for these families that were, you know, in need and, and just spreading. It just helped so many things and being able to spread my dad's story. So, in 2017, you know, as we were continuing to help, um, and this is where it gets to, you know, a whole other level, is that um, in 2017, I was bowling the um, Lucy Devils in Texas. And I met, uh, well, I was friends with this, this, this individual, Boyce Lejeune, on Facebook. And uh, he reached out to me because he saw that I was in Houston. He said, hey, Adam, I see that you're in Houston. You know, would you mind coming by and, and you know, meeting my daughter? And... Um, I had some free time and, you know, I was like, absolutely, you know, that no problem at all. He said, well, we're down at Texas Children's Hospital, um, you know, on whatever floor. And I'm like, 
you know, and I, and I, and I had a feeling that she was obviously sick, but um, he had warned me, he said, hey, when you come here, you know, she's on a floor that with terminal kids that have, you know, that have cancer and that are just terminal. And I had never seen that, you know, I've been around my, my obviously adults that had passed away from cancer, but never children. And um, when I got up to that floor and the elevator opened up, there was this four-year-old boy, he probably weighed maybe 30 pounds and just this mask on. And, and he says, you know, he pulled his mask down. And he said, hey, how are you, sir? With this big smile on his face. And it's like, I mean, you talk about like a punch in your face or your gut that that could be my child, you know, and, and, you know, we, we went in and, and um, um, I never forget walking into Paige's room. Her entire room was Captain America, Superman, just all these superhero things. And, um, you know, just looking at her, she was smiling and, you know, she was happy as could be. And never one time in the couple hours that I was there did she ever talk about her illness or, you know, dying or anything like, like, like that. And, um, but she was so intrigued by the Guinness record. And I said, you know what, Paige, I said, if I ever do another Guinness record, um, I'll do it in your honor, you know, and not really realizing what I was getting myself into, but I, I felt that it was appropriate to say that, that if I did, I would do it in her honor. I wasn't planning on doing one, but so um, as I was getting ready to leave, <clears throat> Boyce, the dad, had, you know, kind of walked out with me and he, he said, um, hey, Adam, just so you know, she's, you know, she is terminal. Um, she does not have that much longer to live. Um, she may she may not necessarily know that, but you know, the, the, there's not much time. And um, this was in August of 17. And as soon as I got to the parking deck, and, and I bawled my eyes out, and I told Marcy, I said, "Well, you've got to hurry up and do another Guinness record, like right away." So we sought out, which was the the one that I that I knew that I thought that I could do, which was the, the most strikes in an hour. And, um, you know, Hammer was on board, Turbo's on board, Craig was on board, Craig's all in. You know, this one was just becoming much bigger and much greater because, you know, the first record, people saw what it was about, and this time it was in my home center. So uh, Logo Infusion uh, was on board with making these shirts, and the theme was uh, Promise to Page. And we put Page's picture on the shirt, and the theme was promised to page. Amazing. Um, so many donations for Chinese uh, auction items and things like that. So the record for that was 176 strikes in an hour. And um, this one was much harder because you got two lanes to, to bowl on, but now it's not a matter, you know, nine isn't necessarily good. Nine is no good. You need strikes. So as I'm going through the record and or going to the record with like five minutes left, I'm behind the pace. We had a certain pace that was set and I ended up throwing like 17 or 18 strikes in a row to beat the record. And the, 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 the sound of the, the crowd roaring and, and um, voice and Amy Lejeune and, um, and their son uh, were, were up there for uh, Jeremy. We're up there for the event. Uh, my my mother-in-law and my mom flew them up here for the event. So they they were able to come up because Paige passed away two weeks before the record was to be set. So um, she was able to see the jersey. She was just, you know, very thankful. So they flew up here. They got to witness it. And they really weren't sure what to expect. 
um, from it either. And neither was I. I mean, I didn't know how many people were going to show up. It ended up being, you know, a couple hundred people there for sure. But uh, we raised over, what, Marcy, $10,000, $12,000, half of which went to the Lejeune family, which they paid it forward for six kids, six kids and, and the other part for, you know, my thing. But, um, you know, of, of the accomplishments in bowling, um, I will honestly say that you know, the, it's not so much about the Guinness records. It's about the ability to have a gift to do something and to pay it back to others. Um, it's what it's all about. And, you know, those, those to me are, are extremely special because of the people we can help. And um, we did another event after that. It was called Striking for Smiles with um, Dave Waswell out of Kansas City, uh, where we just did a race for strikes. We didn't know what to expect. We did a local thing. And it was for a girl named Ella and um, a little boy named Jensen, who was two years old at the time, or three years old at the time, and he had cancer. So um, it was local families, and we ended up raising almost $10,000 on a day in August uh, for these two families. We had big checks and big banners and, and things like that. But um, no, no, like the, the Eagles are, are always very special to me, but you know, the Guinness records for the purpose that they served are truly, I would say, my biggest accomplishment for sure, uh, just for what, you know, being able to help others. Well, thank you so much for, for all you do in that regard and for sharing that story as well. Uh, I'm glad we had this opportunity to, to get to know you off the lanes a little bit, uh, beyond the scoreboard and the leaderboard. Uh, and it's uh, certainly a great way to, to almost end things. I do have one final question for you before I let Daniel wrap things up, but uh, let's fast forward 18 years into the future. Uh, and Team Barta is about to hit the lanes at the Open Championships. <laughs> Marcy's That's on right. the stands, in the stands out there. She's, uh, she's ready to cheer you on. Pete's ready to get a hold of that trophy. Uh, what's the lineup for Team Barta 18 years from now? It's going to be pretty interesting. Lofton, um, do you want to be the anchor on the bowling team? Lofton, do you want to be the anchor? Anyway, that's going to be pretty interesting. I think that to be safe and fair so they don't kill each other, we're going to have to go from youngest to oldest. So we'll go Lofton, Brooks, Blake, Logan, and myself. And then, uh, yeah, wouldn't that be something if we could win a Team Eagle as the Barta boys? That'd be, that'd be something special. We'll, uh, we'll get started working on that story. We do have some free time now as we get ready for the, the 2020 <laughs> Open Championships and heading back to Reno. Uh, before we say goodbye for today, uh, Daniel, any final thoughts uh, from Kentucky? Yeah, you know, I've said that the bowling community, when you get rid of the, the few jack wagons that are out there, the bowling community is as close-knit and they care about each other uh, as much, if not more, than any other community, whether it's a sporting, a gaming, a family community in the world. I've seen that firsthand in my own life. And if people didn't get the hint after the first big chunk of this podcast, certainly that last story, Adam, that you told, um, showed that you're one of those people who is the heart and soul of the bowling community. So thank you very much for everything you've done. And I'm looking forward to seeing you guys out there in Reno a little bit later this year. I appreciate it. And I just need to say, I mean, you guys never get enough credit for what you do. Um, Matt did not pay me, and Daniel, you did not pay me to say this. Brandy did not pay me, neither did Aaron. Um, you know, becoming close with you guys, um, you know, is, is something that's very special to me. I mean, we, we, we kid with each other and we communicate with each other, but I honestly have to say that um, for, for everybody that's listening, um, until you actually see it and see the sacrifices that these guys make behind the scenes – 
I mean, bowling is bowling is the biggest part of their life. I mean, they are so passionate and so dedicated to creating something for the bowlers that, you know, if you see these guys, truly thank them. The entire USBC staff, they, they make they make it such a special event, but these guys work endless hours, you know, trying to create something and to keep you informed and to keep the, the PR and the social media. I mean, I cannot thank you guys enough, honestly, for what you do. I mean, it is it is truly amazing. Sometimes it's a thankless job, um, and I know it's probably not the most – financially, uh, you know, rewarding job that you could possibly ever have. But I, I, I can tell you one thing right now, I can tell that you guys do what you love. And when you do what you love, it's not considered work. It's considered a passion. And to me, that's, that's more valuable than I would rather make $5 an hour doing what I love versus making $20 an hour doing something that I hate. You know, and I tell the people that at work, I said, if you hate coming in these stores, don't come in here, you know, go find something else that you enjoy. But I can honestly tell you guys that, I mean, I can't thank you enough. You do an unbelievable job. Um, your, your passion and dedication is second to none. And, and honestly, I mean, thank you from every bowler that bowls the national, the, the championships. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Thank, thank you, you for the kind words. Thanks for joining us today as well. Uh, we look forward to hopefully seeing you in person and have another conversation in 2020. Uh, definitely enjoy this extra time with the family for sure. Wish it was under better circumstances, but uh, send our regards to all of them and our appreciation as well. And, uh, and folks, we appreciate you joining us for this latest edition of Inside the OC with Matt Canizaro and Daniel Ferris. Folks, that's the news for now. See you on the lanes.